Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're covering community feedback and we're giving our opinions on the best beginner-friendly distros with scenarios this time so we can keep the rants down. We've tried this before, hasn't been on air. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're doing tips and tricks, software spotlight, all of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. Welcome to episode number 176. This is a podcast about sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Destination Linux is a show for all experience levels. So whether you're a beginner to Linux or a master sudoer, welcome to the show. I'm Ryan, and with me today is the last airbender of Linux, Michael. Yes, yes. You're I, the, the last airbender. I am the last airbender. I, Can you show us your move? Wow, man. Yeah, People perfect. who aren't seeing this on video, perfect. they're really missing out on your martial arts style yes. there. But by the way, Last Airbender, one of my favorite cartoons ever. It's anime. Anime. Okay, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not I'm not in the club of uh, <laughs> It's a cartoon. I mean, but it's te- a really good one. It is it's awesome. It's actually probably yeah. one of the best cuz it has like such a depth storyline and it goes across like multiple seasons and all else. It's it's awesome. And the reason why we're putting it on here, I, I this is actually usually Ryan puts in the silly nonsense or how we introduce the people. nonsense. How dare you? Sure. And uh, this time it was not nonsense. It was awesome because I put it in there uh, to oh. to let people know about the uh, it's it's Last Airbender is now on Netflix. So yes, it's awesome. So anyway, if you haven't seen it now, you easily can They'd do that. Well, does that fit into what you've been up to this week, Michael? What have you been doing besides streaming Last Airbender nonstop? Well, I mean, I have I have actually done that, and uh, a friend of mine we started doing like a watch together thing because it was it was on, and but that's not relevant. Oh, uh, that's cute. That's Is only your friend seven. No, no. Oh, it's another adult no. that watches. It's another cartoons. adult. It's multiple okay, adults. That's sad. No, it's it's called a watch party. Get over it. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so. Uh, I've also been doing a lot of stuff. We, I got some new OBS scenes, which you can see right now, because uh, unfortunately, Noah was not able to join us this week for a variety of reasons. And, but uh, this time, it allowed us to make a two-person scene, which I was super happy to, within an hour of, ahead of time, to build out new OBS scenes. Because, And I know that might sound sarcastic, but I like making OBS scenes, as everybody has oh, noticed. Oh, we know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I've made about three or four extra ones. So uh, I also have a additional, this, I made a new custom one for the individual. So instead of the full screen, it's got like some extra flair around it. And in addition to that, I also have gotten, uh, you can actually see it better on this, this screen right here. I got a new router and it is a Netgear Nighthawk that uh, I spent a lot of time uh, finding the best possible router to get by asking Ryan to tell me what to get. <laughs> and uh, so, and as is tradition, it is not hooked up, still in the box, sitting on the bookcase. It's perfect because it's sitting there and not hooked up. Right. That is that is the tradition for me on the show. I had to have at least a, a month where it's just sitting there doing nothing. <laughs> so. Yeah, naturally. Right. I don't know how you do that. I get a new box and I just tear into it immediately. I cannot stand it. It's like this thing since I was a kid, you know? I mean, I probably should have already because I had connection issues this during this recording, so... It probably really should have glad done it. it wasn't the new router that was causing that. Yeah, it wasn't. So uh, I'll, after the show, I'm going to definitely hook it up, make everything work, and 
the next time we'll hopefully not have any connection issues. But what have you been up to this week? Well, I do want to do a very special announcement for everybody that uh, one of our patrons brought up that your next uh, watch party is My Little Pony. Michael, are you going to be streaming that live for everyone? No. No. Okay. Well, too bad. It's invite only. But what I've been up to this week has been a little bit crazy from the aspect of what I normally would be messing with. And that is, I have a lot of Mac equipment sitting here. I have a new MacBook Air 2020. I have a new Mac Mini 2020. And I have been, of course, tearing them apart and upgrading them. What did you say, Michael? I I said, ew. Ew? Why ew? Because it's Mac. Well, see, that's the point. That's the point of the whole thing is I see a lot of people and myself have some ideas of what Mac is. I've repaired them for a long time. People bring them over. They're broken phones. They're broken Apple Airs, their laptops, their different machines that they have out there that they glue things together in. But there's a wide range of hardware there. And one of the things that I noticed and I talk about in the first video is these big YouTubers out there that will sometimes even be like, oh, Apple's overpriced, blah, blah, blah. Let me take you on a tour of my studio and everything's Apple there. And I wanted to know, like, what is it about this ecosystem that people really love? What are some of the things that are good? What are some of the things that are bad? Because it's just something that we need to explore, much like I did with Linux coming from Windows. And so that's what I've been doing. And there is good stuff and there's some bad stuff. And that's what the new video series on my channel is going to highlight. But also, there's some really interesting integration with Linux that has been fascinating for me that I didn't know. For instance, almost 80% of the commands that I use in the terminal work in macOS's terminal. I didn't know that. And you were like, yeah, duh, Ryan. But I was shocked <laughs> I by it. Say I was it. like, I didn't, I didn't like realize that. that you could do HTOP and your listings and, and your SSHing and all of that stuff just the same in macOS as you can in Linux. And then the integration of Linux inside of things like Parallels, which allows me right now to be running through Pop! OS on a full screen, not some kind of weird virtualization menu at the top or window that you move across, but literally have a gesture where it moves the entire desktop through Pop! OS has been pretty cool. And with Parallels, I can actually pass the eGPU through to it as well. So there's some cool things. And we're going to get through all of that in my video series. So I know Mac OS isn't a lot of people's favorite, but we're going to go and see what is the good and bad. And maybe there's some ideas we can steal for Linux from it. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, definitely there's, there's, they do some things that are good and like the way they handle the workspace man- management and navigation is pretty good. Uh, but yeah, as, as far as like, it's kind of like a cousin to Linux in a way, because it's, it's a lot of the features that work on Linux work on uh, co- the command line for Mac. Uh, that's because there's uh, it's based on Unix or actually it's based on FreeBSD. BSD, yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, FreeBSD, which is Unix. So it's officially recognized as a Unix version operating system. Like it actually has that label on it. So, I mean, it it is there are some value, some things you could say that are good about it. And there's other things you can say that are bad about it. And probably the biggest factor of saying it's bad is that it's uh, $50,000 to get a single laptop. 50,000. That's not too far off from the truth. (laughs) That's really not. So before we move on to the rest of the show, I wanted to make a quick announcement, and that is we have something new in the Destination Linux Network store, and that is... Stickers! Well, those are coming, actually, yes, but not... not, not, Well, we're... 
he ruined it. So what we're, <laughs> we're we're announcing is that we finally have a very highly requested item in the store, and that is stool shirts. So we've added a stool shirt that we both actually two different ones. One, it's a dark mode mm. of one. So you can whether if you want a dark shirt or a light shirt, there's both options available. And this was actually submitted. Uh, some of the design was submitted by Andy. He submitted a brilliant. Yeah, it was it was really good. It's a stick figure type design, and I modified a little bit to add some text and some like some a little bit of flair to it or whatever. And it it was basically. It was like he he sent it in as like an instruction manual of how to use a use stool. A stool. Yeah. And I decided, well, let's let's just lean into the stool thing because apparently it's not going to go away ever. So I just wanted to like kind of make it more about the active sitting value. Don't be of so passive aggressive about the fact that the community was so disappointed that you wasted nine dollars on a this is not passive aggressive is i'm a technology that was replaced by the chair no, no 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 no. i'm embracing to see how the you you now see how much value it is with this shirt you can actually show everybody how much it is awesome because it allows you to promote active sitting because that's yeah. what the shirt says it says it's right. called active sitting it's not just a stool it's a utility for ergonomic active sitting and you can let everybody know with this new shirt if you want to <laughs> you can let everybody know how much you are into stools i love this idea i want <laughs> i want one for every day of the week yeah of course you're gonna and you also can rotate between the light mode and the dark mode for sure right love it <laughs> of course so yeah check that out in the destination linux.network slash store you're welcome community <laughs> you're welcome community <laughs> This episode of Destination Linux and the entire DLN network is now sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. What does that actually mean? It means that, for instance, I wanted to set up a Django Python server, and I was able to go into DigitalOcean go into my account, go to the marketplace, one-click app, drop the server, was able to SSH into it and mess with it right there, start setting up a website and prove Michael completely wrong that I could set up a Python website. That's the type of power that you get with DigitalOcean. You can get all of this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. I did all that with a $5 droplet. That you can use their flexible pricing structure as well if you don't want to spend the $5 a month for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. And that, my friends, is darn near free. DigitalOcean also offers 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials. I used one of those to prove Michael wrong. And what I did is I just followed the tutorial and boom, it was done. So it wasn't because I was a genius. It was just because I followed somebody else's tutorial and, and made my static Hello World website Right. Uh, in Python. It's, in it's good that they have tutorials for that, but that's not what I said. I didn't say you couldn't. I said you shouldn't. There's a difference. <laughs> Whatever. That's not important. What <laughs> is important, Michael, is that you can get started on DigitalOcean for two months free with a $100 credit. Imagine how many times you could prove Michael wrong with a $100 wow. credit. You just go to do.co slash DLN to get your credit. That's do.co slash DLN. You open your browser, you type that in there, that lets them know you came from Destination Linux. And we want them to know that because they're awesome folks who sponsored all of the Destination Linux network. And we love DigitalOcean. And we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. 
Samir writes us to say, Hey Ryan, Michael, and Noah, I was wondering if you guys could talk about the differences between Pulse Audio, Jack, and Alsa. I'm trying to combine the music playing from Rhythmbox with my microphone and pipe that into something like Jitsi Meet or Zoom, all the while still being able to hear the music and what others are saying on my headphones. I'm confused if I should be trying to solve this with Pulse Audio or Jack or whether this is even possible on Linux. Can you recommend any good resources to start learning about this stuff? Keep up the great work and love all the new voices you've been showing on the podcast over the past few weeks. Thanks, Samir. So whether you can do it or not, you absolutely can, but mostly through Jack. So it is possible through Pulse Audio, but the amount of effort in order to get Pulse Audio to work and work consistently is roughly about the same, if not a little bit more effort than Jack. Because Jack is a beast to kind of get started with, but Pulse... Not if you use Ubuntu Studio's true. kit, though. That's true. If you want to use Ubuntu Studio or just their Ubuntu Studio installer on the other Ubuntu flavors, yeah, that does make it a lot easier. Uh, but Jack is still the best option for that because there's, there's it's actually even plug-and-play in certain cases. So like Once you have Jack set up, it's actually quite easy to get started. But as far as like Pulse Audio, that does a lot of command line stuff. You have to do loopbacks and nulls and all kinds. Of, it's not it's not worth using Pulse to do this. But it is definitely possible to do it with Jack. And actually, Jack is a lot easier than you would think once you start using it. It's not a simple process to get started. But once you do have it there, it's just basically dragging one uh, like a pipe from one side to one in, in like device to another device, and it's that simple. Well, as far as the differences, they're both sound servers. One is meant to be for your general population of devices. The other is meant for more professional, real-time, low-latency audio work, is how I view it anyways. Mm -hmm. And Jack is very complex, at least for people who are not into audio. So for me, understanding the various terminology and thing within Jack, because it's made for those who kind of understand and play with professional audio latencies and different outputs and inputs and linking them all together, it, it can be a little daunting. I had uh, one of the members of our community, Scrapjaw, originally set it up for me. And it was amazing because one of the issues I kept running into with Pulse was with the USB interfaces I was using, the particularly the Scarlet 2i2, if multiple applications, because right now OBS is up and as well as Zoom, if multiple applications were grabbing my audio, it would create the static. And that was because the latency was wrong and the hertz that Pulse was setting was wrong. And well, Pulse is a mess for that. It should automatically detect, hey, you've got this equipment, it should be running at this hertz like most operating systems do, but Pulse does not. So because of that, you either have to manually tweak Pulse, which I have a script out on my GitHub for that, so you can get these to work with uh, regular Pulse, or you use something like Jack, which allows you to more get into those settings. But it is difficult to set up, but Ubuntu Studio is probably one of the most underrated, I think, distros out there because it has a lot of this simplified, and they have GUIs, and even have a package that anybody can go grab that's on an Ubuntu base, even a Debian base, probably. I'm, I'm not sure about that part, but definitely on an Ubuntu base, it has their audio packaging built in. And that would be what I would suggest you explore first because that's going to kind of get you an idea of what Jack's all about. And they've kind of done a lot of the, they've got all the applications you want installed for you. And it'll be much easier for you to play with than just installing it, say, in a, in a, in a regular distro and trying to set it up. It's not impossible, but it's going to take some work. 
Yeah, that's true. And I, I do think that it does. It, I don't know if it works on all Ubuntu base either, but I know it works on all the flavors. I think they just support the flavors as an option rather than having like it might still work, but you might have to do a little bit extra to do that. But it is really cool. And Ubuntu Studio is a very interesting distribution because it was also kind of like not ignored, but it was it was often to like the, you know, not very much attention for a very long time. And then they started like ramping up a lot of effort and there's a lot of great stuff coming from them as well as I'm super excited for the next release of 2010 because it has the plasma as the desktop environment rather than the XFCE choice that they've had for the, the, the entire existence of the distro. So I'm looking forward to see, you know, how they implement that because I think this would be, I think it's going to be one of those, you know, solid distributions and it's going to be kind of turning into a potentially a beginner distro, depending on what someone needs for, uh, they're, if they're like, uh, you know, audio engineers or something like that, it might be one of those to suggest. Yep. So as we've mentioned in the intro, we've tried to cover this in the past and the patrons have actually heard it this time. They're going to participate in it, but we failed miserably because we end up going on rants with this particular discussion point, And that is we're trying to figure out what is the best beginner distro. We didn't fail miserably. We failed spectacularly. Yeah, we we failed spectacularly on it. So this time I've created rules so that we can't go off in rant land and it's actually a useful topic to cover because a lot of people discuss this. I see it constantly in Telegram groups and forums. What distro should I recommend to a new person? And I think originally I would usually have one in mind and that was the one I would put people on. But then somebody way smarter than me eventually said, hey, it depends on the person's situation. And so... I've created a couple of scenarios that, that I see most often, and that I think will help us to decide instead of just choosing, well, this is the one distro for all time, what distro you should suggest for new people. So I guess, Michael, I'll let you go first. And our first scenario is... But first, before, before we move on to okay. that, I wanted to let the you know patrons know that you know as you're watching live, if you want to give your choices, we're going to do that at the end of... One, when you do our choices, then we're going to talk about it, and we're going to mention all your choices. So once we get the scenarios out, then uh, be sure to let us know what you think, because we want to include that in the show as well. Yeah, and Gert mentions here also the desktop environment. So definitely include the distro and the desktop environment of your choice here. All right, so the first up in the batter's box, Michael, we're going to talk about Susan. Now, Susan is a hardware geek. Never used anything outside of Windows, though. She has latest and greatest hardware. That's the key there, latest and greatest. So the brand new AMD Ryzen, brand new GPU, all of the greatest hardware. Windows users finally sick of her computer updating in the middle of uh, working on something and wants to try Linux. What distro do you recommend? I would say probably Pop! OS or Manjaro. Like I, I would, I'm hesitant with the Manjaro part because of the Arch base, but they've been doing a lot of interesting stuff that it's been, you know, it's gotten me more willing to suggest that. And with the Pop! OS, because they do all the extra effort of making the hardware work, depending on like, you know, they, they, they were the first to get the latest AMD stuff working and that kind of thing. So I think that either way, Pop! OS or Manjaro would be a good option. I think those are good ones. I would go in this case with Manjaro because you have for the latest and greatest hardware stuff, you have to have the cutting edge kernels for the hardware integration and things. Why not Ubuntu in this case, Michael? Why would you not recommend it? Well, I mean, they do have the uh, hardware enablement stack. That's that is a thing, but 
it's every six months or so. So depending on when you have the conversation with someone, you have the possibility of that being a terrible suggestion or a good suggestion. So I would prefer to just have one that I don't have to worry about. Is this, you know, timing of this one good or not? So that's why I would go with Pop! OS or Manjaro. Just because if they have the latest and greatest hardware, in order to get support, you need the latest kernels and Mesa drivers and all that stuff. So I would have to pick distros that have those things. Gotcha. All right. So now we've got Steven as our next case here. Steven just bought a Dell or Lenovo laptop. Doesn't matter. Hates Windows. Coming from Apple ecosystem. And now wants to try Linux for the first time. So coming from Apple is the key here. Bought a brand new Dell or Lenovo out there. What's the best distro for Steven? Well, I, I think it's interesting because with this one, I have three and I couldn't decide really. No, you have to pick one. You can list three, but you've got to pick one. I didn't pick one last time. I picked two. <laughs> so I'm going to go. With, it, I'm changing the rules. Yeah, I'm going to go with three this time. Uh, but I think that the Papa West is, a, is again in this list, in this option, because the, it is um, a, a very nice looking polished. It's one of the best looking GNOME inter- experiences that you can get. So I would say that if they're, they're probably going to be looking for like a polished interface when they get into it. So I would say that Papa West is one of those options. I'd also say that Ubuntu Budgie and Zorin would be good options as well. Ubuntu Budgie because it has a sim- sort of Mac appeal to it out of the box. And it also looks very polished, so I think that's a good option too. As well as maybe has some, you know, things to introduce them to, so like the tiling stuff that they have, and also uh, Zorin because they have that macOS interface style switch that you can just go into and like have a, basically like a Mac, not a clone, but somewhat familiar for them is as well. So, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Pop OS for me, especially having played. Uh, in Mac OS here for the last week or two, I can tell you there's a lot of similarities to GNOME for me with Mac OS. So oh, I think it's kind of a natural, especially the way that um, the windows are and having the toolbar at the top for mm-hmm. controlling your files, meetings, that type of stuff where it's separate from the actual window. Well, that's which, not really a Pop OS thing. I don't think GNOME has that in general. They have that... Uh, because they have the hamburger menu in the GNOME things. So you're talking about the global menu at the top, right? The global menu, right. Okay. That is a cool feature, and I don't think anybody has that by default. And there might be Wait, some... Was that Unity that had it? Yes, Unity had it. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was confusing. So I was thinking of Unity that had the global menu, because when I was looking at it this week, I was like, that's familiar, but I was thinking it was GNOME. But you're right. It was Unity that had the global menu thing. Now, you say you like it, but it's not... I'm not sure it's something I actually like. I always forget. I'm like, where's the file? Oh, I got to go all the way up to the top. The difference between the way that Mac does it and the way that Unity did it was I didn't like the way Mac did it, but I do like Unity's version. So the way that they had it, it was like they had a combination thing. So you had a, at the top, you had the global menu, but you also had on the window itself a, a menu, this, the same menu there, but instead of being in an extra space like a below, it was kind of integrated into the title bar. So they called it local integrated menus. So you hovered, and at the top of the window, you would get those same features. And if you maximize the window, it would essentially be in the exact same place by going to the global menu. So it wasn't always on the global menu, although I think it technically was on the global menu and in the local integrated if you wanted to do it that way. So if you got used to it, you could still do it. 
but I liked that approach because I'd have the best of both worlds if it was it's close to me on the mouse, but also it's, you know, if I maximize it, I still get that value. And I think that's the biggest value of the global menu because when you maximize it's saving a lot of space because instead of that one toolbar for that one piece it just moves the toolbar into the panel and i think that's a, a really it good does, approach it is nice for tiling because i don't have a bunch of the global menus tied into my windows so the windows are very close to each other when i'm tiling which is very cool i i realized that we made a mistake in how we set this up michael because we're not going to know some of our who our patrons are actually recommending for who by the time we get to the end so since we've only done two here, I just want to go back and we can read off because they're not necessarily putting the name with their recommendation. Uh, okay, good call. So uh, when we talked about Susan, the hardware geek, um, who has the latest and greatest hardware, our patrons recommended here MX Linux. So this is an interesting one from Nico because MX Linux has the AHS version, their advanced hardware support edition which I've used on my latest and greatest hardware and works really well. So I think that's a really good suggestion there. Uh, Pop! OS or Manjaro, of course, came up. Manjaro KDE or Pop! OS, uh, again, for Susan from TechOcnito. I think I think Nico and then decided to start making some jokes because he said Linux from scratch for Susan. And like, man, it's probably not. Linux probably. from scratch, yeah. <laughs> latest and greatest hardware, why not Linux from scratch? Probably not there. that one. <laughs> uh, Computer Kid went with MX as well. So a lot of love for MX there. Pop! or Manjaro. So... Those are pretty consistent with what we're seeing. And another vote from Gert for Pop! OS. So a lot of a lot of Pop! OS love, a lot of MX love, which we didn't mention MX in ours and should have. So I'm glad the patrons caught that. Now with the person who's coming from the Mac ecosystem, which was Steven, they're suggesting Manjaro again with Cinnamon or Mate. Which, which is Nick's recommendation. Computer Kid comes in with Elementary. That's a good one. We didn't cover Elementary. I mean, a lot of people make that you know comparison between the two. I know it makes Elementary mad, but there's some similarities. Let's say in I think that I think Elementary has it does definitely look like Mac like a lot, but I would be more comfortable with something else because I think that you know Mac has a, an, an effort where they you kind of feel like the whole thing is cohesive. And with elementary, by default, it looks great and functions like you'd want it to. But when you start adding new applications, it like they don't the icons don't look right, the themes don't look right sometimes, and it just kind of feels like it it breaks that cohesive. You mean if you like grab a snap or flat pack, it's not going to get the theming from no 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 just an app, any application. So like some things will look right if it's GTK three based, but if it's cute based, it's going to look terrible. And that's not necessarily a knock on elementary because it's a knock on most D, uh, D GTK distributions because they don't put the effort into make the cute applications look right. The GTK it's applications. It's kind of a minor paper cut though, right? Because people like me, I don't look at, oh, that theming's off from the rest of my system. But I mean, I guess I noticed it. It's more of a cohesive thing because it's so yeah. like, it's so... If you if you when it looks like looks like Mac so much, it feels like it's kind of trying to get that same appeal of everything all in one and cohesive design and everything. And as soon as that it's broken, it's just so jarring. And I think it, it, it's it's not necessarily bad because other distributions don't do the the cohesive design up front as as well as Elementary does. But I think that jarring effect is just too much. And I think okay. that's why. So Gert says Ubuntu Mate with Mutiny, and we've got Elementary, Kubuntu, or Deepin OS. Deepin's an interesting one. I've not seen that one recommended. And another one for Elementary in here. So a lot of Elementary love in that scenario. So that's interesting. Yeah. 
but I think the deepen one's an interesting point. Uh, I I don't necessarily like deepen as far as like the the. I think it's like really pretty, but not that functional. So that's why I wouldn't suggest that I one. I think they're working on that though. I have faith they that Deepin's going to get better and better, and maybe a huge contender in the future because right. they're one of the closest to having the most beautiful. They just everybody who I know uses it and likes it talks about it not having that uh, completion. You know, things yeah. certain windows don't work or certain text isn't readable. But I remember that being an issue a lot in KDE when I first joined as well, KDE yes. would have this issue where the menu would, the text in the menu would be all messed up and various problems like that. And that sense has gone away, but you know, they overcome these issues. Yeah. Let's, let's move on and not talk about the issues that plasma has. How dare you? It's all right. <laughs> Samantha is our next scenario. Samantha wants to get into networking and learn Linux servers, administration, cloud platforms for a career. She'll buy whatever equipment is needed, doesn't care, wants to learn this for the career, but needs a good Linux distro to allow her to learn all of these cool things that Linux can do out there in the server world. What's your recommendation there? Well, in the server world is interesting because there's so many different scenarios that you could really approach and like what they want to do, whether they want to do like cloud stuff or like a hybrid cloud or whatever. And I would say probably just go with like the most popular server distribution, which is Ubuntu server. But instead of using Ubuntu as a recommendation, I would say use Kubuntu because you get the same benefit of having it compatible with the server and everything you learn in the server will be, will be transferable to Kubuntu or any of the flavors really. And I just think that it's a, and better experience overall as the DE. However, I would say that really any of the flavors would work as well too. Uh, I just say go with Ubuntu base or go to with an Ubuntu or Ubuntu flavor and use the Ubuntu server. So what do you think about this one? I think that's a good recommendation. I mean, obviously Ubuntu is very popular in the server world and they have lots of awesome tools there. So that's a great recommendation for me. Also Fedora, right? Because mm. you kind of get the red hat pieces in there as well. Yeah. Uh, Open SUSE would be an option here because you have, you know, the YAST platform, which will allow you to kind of understand a lot of the administrative capabilities of Linux through YAST first, and then you could learn it through the terminal. And because they had, I think YAST is amazing and how it builds a lot of that functionality into the GUI platform. I know some people don't like it, but if you're just learning I think it's a fantastic tool for you to utilize. So Fedora, yeah. OpenSUSE, I think would be two recommendations for me here. That's an interesting and, point. I think that OpenSUSE has a lot of potential for a variety of different aspects. And I think that SUSE, the enterprise, is, there's, a, there's a lot of value for using that. As I, I thought about the Fedora with the CentOS and Red Hat thing, but the SUSE, was a, that's a really good point. I think that they're, I think all three are really good options. But I would just say the easiest transition would be Ubuntu-based. But I think that both of those are fantastic choices. So Brandon, a patron, says for the cloud developer, Fedora, RHEL, or CentOS. CentOS is a little tough for a new person, although I'm sure you could learn it. I think that's more of the sense of like CentOS would be for like in the comparison of Red Hat. So you have you're learning the Red Hat server or you're using CentOS to learn the Red Hat server rather than Red Hat directly, and then you're still using Fedora to do the desktop part. I just have PTSD with CentOS. It's not CentOS's fault, but I remember being brand <laughs> new to Linux and somebody recommended it and I was trying to get it to work on a, I think I had a Dell laptop and it just crashed and crashed and crashed and I had no idea what was happening. Couldn't get it to work. Couldn't get the videos to work. 
to show it. So it, it was just my noobness. So I tend to stay away from that one personally. I think it's my own experience, but I think it's not, it's not good for workstations or desktops. I think don't yeah. use it for that, but for servers, it's basically like red hat. So feel free. All right. So we're getting Ubuntu, CentOS and Fedora uh, again, as a recommendation, Arco Linux or Endeavor. That's an interesting one. That's interesting. I wouldn't say that yeah. Arch would be the best server based distribution. So, uh, I'd probably skip that. Not one. with that attitude. <laughs> I enough. like that. I <laughs> like that example. Use Arch. That would be a good one. <laughs> All right, so All let's, right. So let's, let's go to the next one. Uh, Sean, uh, he said he's only uses old hardware, uh, really old hardware, and wants something that is lightweight that can run on his museum piece. I like that. I like <laughs> oh, that. Did type. I add that in yeah. on accident? My that bad. was good. I like that. It belongs in a museum. That got me. <laughs> so, right, so, what would you put for Sean? For Sean, I'm going with MX Linux all the way. I mean, you've got the Debian base. Debian has a lot of the packages built for the older machines in there. MX makes it clean and beautiful at the same time. Of course, again, MX is great for new hardware with their AHS, but if you have older hardware, uh, it's XFCE by default, so lightweight desktop environment. I think MX is the way to go here. I think that you make a good point about MX Linux, and I completely copy it. So MX Linux... (laughs) So that, I think I think that makes it easy. Right. I think the only issue is that there's, you know, we're we're talking about old hardware, so it could either be 32 bit or 64 bit. Now, because there is 15 year old hardware that's 64 bit, but when you're talking about like museum pieces, I would say that you're talking about 32 bit, and with 32 bit, you're dealing with a bigger issue of distributions dropping it completely. So like Ubuntu, you're not going to get a 32 bit ISO. So even if you said like Lubuntu or Zubuntu, which are lightweight distributions, they like 1804 was the last version you could use with 32 bit. So you'd only have like three more years left of support with those. So with MX Linux, you get the benefit of Debian, which has like support for like 10 years or something like that. And I would just say that that's probably a better option. There probably are some other things that are, you know, just as good as far as suggestions for, you know, the ancient stuff, like maybe Puppy Linux or something. But oh, I think, yeah, I love Puppy Linux. man. Yeah. That's such a cool distro. I think Puppy Linux is awesome, but it, it is a very different type of distribution. It's not like the standard Linux uh, style desktop because they have like the layered file system. But I'm not going to go into that because it's that's a goal. That's a tangent. Don't go too geek. Right. That's a tangent. I don't want to do that. But. Uh, it's really good option, and I think there's a lot of like that. But I think that once you start talking about 32-bit, you're limited in what it could be, really, what the options could be. So I think MX Linux is probably like the best option that has the polish and still has support for the old museum pieces. So our patrons, computer kids coming in with MX Linux support, but also Arch, Arch, Arch. So certainly you could get Arch <laughs> running on that 32-bit system. Maybe a little tough if they're new, but if they're not, then definitely go that way. And Nick says Zubuntu. Zubuntu is a good one. I mean, that's one of the first distros I started on and yeah. absolutely fell in love with. Zubuntu is great, but it's the whole the issue of the, the you only get three years support. And that's kind of the thing. Like, actually, right. no, I don't know because you only get three years support total with the flavors anyway. So there's only like one year left because that would go out of out of support in 2021. So that that's why the only reason I wouldn't suggest those is because they don't have the uh, they don't have the 32, 32 bit support going forward. And just to be clear, my biggest suggestion here is to get rid of your museum piece, give it to a museum, and get a Raspberry Pi or something, anything else. That's Ooh, we're going to cover that later in the show. That's going to be pretty exciting. <laughs> right. What you do with that. 
so NicoJet comes in with LXDE question mark as a desktop environment. I mean, that's considered a very lightweight desktop environment, but so are a lot of the other ones. I kind of feel like that lightweight desktop environment thing is dead. Like you can make KDE super lightweight. You can make KDE as light as XFCE. So I'm not sure there's a whole lot of advantage. Maybe LXDE does it even more so than everyone else, but they're all pretty light nowadays. Well, the issue is that uh, LXDE was, you know, it was very light because it, it offered a lot less f- functionality. But I agree with you what you're saying that Plasma is so light these days that it's not as big of an issue. And also some of the other DEs are getting more weight because they're upgrading to different things. So like, for example, with with XFCE, they're getting GTK3, which automatically makes it heavier because the right. toolkit is a lot does a lot more functionality and a lot more stuff and the same thing with mate when they got to gtk3 they're just getting heavier and that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad because a percentage five ten percent heavier it's not like it's a huge difference but lxde is also pretty much deprecated at this point so lxcute would be the other option and i still think that as far as the distribute the de's go we are so on an even playing field at this point that you could kind of pick whatever you want Provided it's not no, because it's that's not a lightweight to DE. Right. So we've got some suggestions here. We'll read through Antics, Bogies, Ubuntu again, Bodhi Linux again. So a lot of Bodhi Linux in here. And we've got Manjaro Arm, Endeavor OS maybe as a light arch. So that's an easier arch to install, obviously. I love Endeavor a lot. So that could be an option for people to check out. Yeah, so I think our, I think the problem with that, with that is that the uh, Mandrao Arm would be good to replace your museum piece, but like Arch has a 64-bit only thing now too. So you're looking at with a with an ancient hardware. If you have 64-bit, you're pretty much good to go. You can use the lower end stuff, and you can use like Zubuntu and Lubuntu that are doing the lightweight, more lightweight. Uh, but if you have 32-bit, you're very very limited and and it's and also I'm not saying that it's a Ubuntu baggage issue with the say of like you know they're dropping support basically every distribution is blo- is dropping support for 32 bit as well they should because we need to progress in technology and not sit back in forever in the ancient realm so of- our patrons are making up people now uh Nico's suggestion is give the museum piece to Jill so just give it away is the <laughs> recommendation there there is no Jill but that's the recommendation all right I think so she, I the think lo- they're talking about Jill Jill Bryant the uh, you know for put oh, add to yeah, her collection okay, Jill yeah, yeah Jill would take it and, and run with that no problem <laughs> all right so our last scenario Sarah has always been a Windows user but is sick of dealing with Windows she wants something new but also familiar interface and user experience so I think this one we see a lot right they want they're sick of some of the things Windows doing behind the scenes, whether it's a privacy security issue or whatever, but they just want the same kind of experience. They don't want to go into OS where the menu's up at the top or in some random sidebar. They want to be able to just boot it up and work. What's a good option here? I'd say that probably I'd go with uh, Kubuntu. As I'm, I'm a fan of Kubuntu, but also in addition to Kubuntu, I'd say Linux Mint Cinnamon. I think that both of those options are quite good and they would cover the familiarity with the Windows paradigm. And I think that would be, both of those would be great choices, you know, pretty much equally. I think there are other options you could do where you could modify Ubuntu Mate with the Redmond interface or whatever, but out of the box, it's easier to say stuff that comes with that paradigm. So that's what I would go with. Kubuntu or Linux Mint with Cinnamon. 
Yeah, for me, it's Linux Mint all the way. In fact, this is what I do. And when people have me repair their computers or build them a machine, I ask, hey, have you checked out Linux? Is it something you'd be interested in? Usually the answer is yes. I tell them I could set up a small partition and boot it in there. And the distro I put on there is always Linux Mint. It seems to have the most success with Windows users. And I always get those messages back like, hey, I was booting into that Linux thing and I really, really like it. And Mint gives them that familiarity where I feel like they can instantly go from Windows and start using it without much up training at all or somebody standing over their shoulder. So for me, this is a real life scenario that I come across often and it's always Linux Mint. It's just a really good option here. And especially with the new polish that they have on their theme. I think it's 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 a very solid option now. It used to be like, yeah, it's really good, but it didn't look very good. Now they actually meet those two those two important pieces together, and that's great. Like obviously, there are things that we could we could pick on and say like, there's certain distributions that why you know like if we like all these, why don't we not use them or whatever? I think that there's you know for our individual purposes, those are different. This is a whole different topic, but for beginners, that's that's why we're talking about this this option. I think that Linux Mint and Kubuntu are solid. And look, you can have your own recommendations here. These are just ours. And I think it's interesting. Really appreciate the patrons contributing here. I like Steve's comment because I tend to agree with it. Manjaro for all of the things in here. So Manjaro, 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 Manjaro. But everybody's going to have different opinions and you make your own for the new people that you come across. But Mm -hmm. if you're a new listener listening to this show, because we have lots of new listeners coming in now, it's their first time trying Linux. These are some of our suggestions if you find yourself in one of the scenarios with the individuals we mentioned here, maybe it'll give you a good option to pop up into a VM or to install on a secondary drive to try out. The great thing about Linux right now is you could pick distro name insert here, and I could give you a thousand reasons why it's great. There are paper cuts with all of them, like with every single operating system out there. For sure. So just because we mentioned these and didn't mention your favorite, don't be sad. There's a lot of great distros out there. These are just the ones we're the most familiar with in our recommendations. Yeah. Well, I also think that these are probably the, like, not, not to say that we're, our, our, our recommendations are the best possible, but I mean, well, they are, they're, yeah. they're pretty good. <laughs> well, computer kids is pretty good too. Endeavor all things. So there you go. Right. There's, I mean, and Endeavor and I Manjaro mean, are really good. I, I think, I think that they're, they're great distributions. I wouldn't put them necessarily on the beginner distro part though, but I would say that they are really I'm good. I'm challenging distros. that and I'm going to win here. I think Arch is ready for the beginners now because of the work people like Endeavor and Manjaro are doing. I think we need I to think, change our perception on that. It's getting closer than ever. And pretty soon we're going to be saying, of course, you could put Manjaro on a brand new user and they'd be fine. I think. I would I would like for that to happen. Absolutely. I think Endeavor doesn't isn't really trying to do that, but I think that they are doing a lot well, too of too bad they're work. gonna do it because I say do it, Endeavor <laughs> team. Well, anyway, I do think yeah. Mandraro is trying to do that and I think that they're making a lot of progress. I mean, I, I started I switched to Mandraro just to try it out to see like you know, refresh my experience with it because I ha- haven't used it for years and I am impressed with a lot of what they've done. Don't know. I still come. I still the whole arch thing is where I'm not comfortable, but not necessarily Mandraw's fault. They've done a lot of great stuff. So uh, we'll get you maybe, there. maybe. So this week we have some big news. Actually, it's a, it's a huge splash being made by Raspberry Pi. So the Raspberry Pi Foundation announced that they have the new Raspberry Pi Four, which is we've already talked about that, but this one has eight gigs of RAM. Take my money. Take my money. Take my <laughs> money. I don't want it. It's yours. Right? Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. So 
these eight gigabyte variant, the eight gigabyte variant has it says seventy five dollars for the for that particular Pi, and this is actually potentially a replacement for a low power desktop, and and it kind of makes sense because the price of it is not excessive but the power potentially has a lot of value to offer. And I've seen people say that the four gigabyte Pi was able to be a low power desktop. It wasn't going to be like do everything, but now I'm super curious to what this thing can do. Cause it sounds like it has the potential to be an actual replacement for at least a few people, you know? Absolutely. If you want to listen, I have been just blown away by the Raspberry Pi foundation, everything about them from the training courses they have for your kids to the training courses they have for adults, that alone is amazing. The amount of things you can do with the Raspberry Pi from AI, robotics, desktop environment, servers, it's endless. I cannot buy enough of these things. Like They're all over my house. I think I have three in this room <laughs> alone. I'm not kidding. I, they just, I absolutely love these things. There's so many things you can do. But think about this for a, a kid. If you have a young kid and you want to get them learning about computers and you want to raise them right and get them into Linux, getting this eight gigabyte Raspberry Pi, $75, you hook a screen to it, boom, you've got a computer that they can use. They can go on the Raspberry Pi Foundation training sites, set up all the kid applications and games and things there. And the RAM makes the huge difference here because this was a bottleneck with the previous, the, the SOC machines is the RAM, the amount of RAM on them. It's a huge bottleneck. You can add more storage may not be super fast storage, but through a USB port with the RAM soldered on, it's a huge bottleneck. You can't really upgrade it. The processors are super fast. So having an eight gigabyte variant is great. My understanding is the reason they didn't have this before, number one, was a power issue and a heat issue. Because you remember a lot of people buy these, they're not hooking up extra heat sinks and other things you can, but a lot of people don't, they just run them bare. And yeah. so they were able to figure this out, which is amazing, and release this. Now the Pi 4 sold at this 3 million units in less than a year. Three million of these went out the door. Massive success is an understatement for this. And basically to celebrate at their one-year mark, we now get the eight gigabyte version. I want like four of them. I, I really am going to get a couple of them for my kids because I just think this is such an amazing tool. It's such an amazing learning device to begin mm -hmm. with. And there are so many cool things you can do with this. And this is how I'm going to beat Wendy for those that listen to Hardware Addicts is I'm going to put one of these in my kitchen and completely <laughs> beat Wendy in our little uh, showdown that we have of who can make the better automated kitchen. And come on, Raspberry Pi with eight gigabytes beats the Dell and Dell little computer thing she's putting in there because it's like this big she's shoving in a cabinet. I'm going to have a little pie running everything. So there you go. Yep. I'm actually really interested in getting this one as well. I, I wasn't really interested in getting the previous Pi editions because I have other Pies that I wasn't using for, you know, I was using for ca casual things like a pie hole and things like that, but I wasn't really using it for like anything extravagant. But and the noob, four, the four, yeah, right. The four gigabyte one was like, okay, that's pretty interesting, but I'm not, it's not like it's going to be like a big replacement thing. But with the eight gigabytes of memory, this is, crazy and also the fact that they say that there's a note on their website that says that the default operating system image uses 32-bit lpae kernel and a 32-bit user land but this allows that multiple processes can share all eight gigabytes of the memory uh well you know there's a limit to certain single processes because they only use a certain amount but you can spread across all the work across all of the eight gigabytes which is pretty impressive for a single system on a chip 
board. Like it's it's crazy. And also apparently like the power users who want to be able to map all eight gigabytes into the address space of the single process, that they, they can do that with a 64-bit user land. So there are plenty of options already available because there's many op- many distributions have 64-bit for ARM. Like even Ubuntu released a new version that makes that possible. So I am super excited. And Gen 2. And Gen 2. And Gen 2. Sure, sure. And that should be one we should recommend to all the new users in our scenario was the Gen 2 thing there. Yeah. Definitely. We totally. missed out on that one. Um, wow. Oops. Shucks. <laughs> But here's another cool thing that they're doing. They're releasing, it's in early beta right now, a 64-bit operating system image. So you, you, if you don't want to utilize the Ubuntu or the Gentoo or the other ones out there, you want to stick with their base distro that comes with the Raspberry Pi, they're making a 64-bit version of that. So that's going to be awesome because that means they're going to start porting all the applications as well as they're building that out. And now you're going to have all the 64-bit yummy goodness built into the Raspberry Pi. This makes me so happy. Yeah, It really does. This is pretty awesome. I, I'm looking forward to getting my Raspberry Pi because I actually haven't upgraded my Pi since the Pi 2, I think. So I'm looking forward to trying this one out because I, yeah. I definitely can find some uses of that 8 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah, you could automate your stool going up and down and stuff. I wasn't thinking that, but now I am. There you go. (laughs) So this week in the gaming section, we're going to talk about something I've been hesitant about, but I'm starting to kind of open up a little bit. My heart is turning a little bit less black for this, and that's Google Stadia. So, you know, I have my issues with Google and some of the privacy and security things that they do. But Stadia is becoming, well, they're not killing it yet. So that's something. And there's some really cool stuff that they're doing actually with Stadia. Number one is 1440p is now an option, which this is important for many gamers out there. So you could stream in the 1440p resolution. Now, remember when they were advertising this, didn't they say like 4K and all this stuff, which they really couldn't actually, it seemed, it it turns out they they couldn't really deliver that. They were going to eventually maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe there was some clause or a little asterisk by their words there, but I, I seem to recall that. I may be wrong, but 1440p is now an option when playing Stadia in a web browser. So those who are on Linux and want to play some of these games, if something in gaming is holding you back from adopting Linux, this would be a situation where I'd be like, if there if I had a new user and they're like, I would, but if only I could play Elder Scroll online, that's my one thing. I'd be like, well, forget about privacy security. Have you thought about Stadia? Stadia is an <laughs> option. And then you could still come over to the Linux world. You got to get them started somewhere. Uh, so Elder Scroll Online comes to Stadia Pro starting on June 16th, which this is a pretty big MMORPG. I wouldn't say it's in the class of World of Warcraft by any stretch of the imagination, but it's been out for a long time. And if you're ready for story time, Michael, before I ever started a YouTube channel, before I ever did anything else, I was streaming on Twitch. Mm. Now, that channel has since been deleted, so there's no proof that it exists because, you know, once you delete something on the internet, it's gone forever. Right. But <laughs> my big moment in Twitch streaming was Elder Scroll Online had come out in beta, and you weren't, I was chosen as a beta user, and you weren't supposed to stream it. You had signed this NDA clause and everything else. I streamed it anyways. Everybody else's stream got shut down. Everybody else who was trying to stream it, but mine stayed up because I was talking so positive about the game. And that was my first time I had like several hundred people watching my stream. 
And when I got offline that night, while most people would be like dying, if you've ever Twitch streamed to have one or two people, I had hundreds, right? That's success. I was like, that was the worst experience of my life and I'll never stream again. <laughs> and deleted everything and made a YouTube channel. So that's a little story time. With that explains so much. Online. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, it's very stressful to do live stream gaming uh, when you have hundreds of people chatting at you. But yeah. there's also a bunch of other games that have released for this. You've got Mortal Kombat 11 which has been launched on Stadia. You have Sirius Sam 4, which comes in August. So I don't know. There's something here. If you are into gaming and, you know, obviously there are probably some things you could do with the device. I don't think you have to have the Chrome device anymore in your home to use Stadia. You can just sign up for it and use it through the browser. So maybe if you containerize it and things, really some of the privacy issues and th- wouldn't be as big of a problem. Yeah, I, I think it's if you had like a spare computer to put it on there or something like that, it wouldn't be as big of an issue. And I, I don't know how much container or virtualization would like hurt the overhead. It, in theory, it shouldn't because it just it should be going on their connection, and you could just pass through your your if you have a USB controller, you could pass through that to directly to the virtual machine, and then everything else is being handled on their servers. So in theory, it could work, but I don't know. So I think my biggest issue is the Chromecast. I just want, I don't want a Chromecast or those type of devices in my home. And yeah. So if you can run it just straight through the browser without having to have that Chromecast interface, I think a lot of the concerns I would have about privacy and things would go away. And, and most of my issues with the Chromecast is it's listening capabilities, you know, always on listening for keywords and things like that. Uh, those devices just never work right. They're always capturing. If you go back and listen to those recordings, if you have an Amazon Echo or other thing in your home, uh, a lot of them do. And this is actually a nice feature that they supply this, allow you to go back and listen to what it's captured. And it doesn't just wake up when it hears the word Alexa or whatever the keyword is. It's recording things randomly that it thinks when it hears that. And so those type of devices disturb me. But maybe if you can just run it straight through the browser without the Chromecast, this would be an option for people. What do you think about the idea of just having a Chromecast and the only time you ever have it plugged in is to play games with Stadia? Yeah, that would be an option as well, right? Just keep it unplugged or keep it in a separate like gaming area of your home or, or somewhere where it may not pick up information. And again, I may be overthinking it, but this is an option. Uh, someone mentioned one of our patrons that uh, ESO works fine on Linux through Proton already. So I guess that's not going to draw people in. I wasn't aware that it worked there, but they do have a bunch of other games that are not uh, playable easily on Linux by default. So yeah, you Nico know, Jet mentioned a couple games that wanted to find out if these are available: Tetris and Solitaire. Uh, probably oh, those are important ones. Let's hope. Let's hope. I don't know if they could stream that in 1440p with those graphics, but they, you know, they get those servers working over time. They might be able to. <laughs> In the software spotlight this week, we have a variety of different applications, all specifically about weather apps. So because, you know, we don't go often outside in general, especially now with the, well, in the current situation, it's even more so weird. Uh, But there's, it's good to have a weather indicator on your computer or in a weather application just to make sure that you know to avoid it. Right. So uh, there's a couple applications we're going to talk about. One is a fun name. I'm going to save that one for last. Uh, we've actually already talked about the terminal application uh, weather or WTTR 
weteran.in, so weteran. I'm not sure how you're supposed to say that, but that's a really cool one that you can just run in your terminal and give you the basic structure of like the uh, like somewhat of a forecast, not like a full-blown application. But if you want more date details, you can check out Gnome Weather, which gives you a lot of stuff like the forecast length of like a five-day forecast and gives you hourly conditions and location search and all kinds of stuff like that, as well as the one that I like just because of its name, Meteo. Medio is a is based on open weather map and it has also the five day forecast and hourly conditions and location search and all that good stuff. So if you want to check out any of these applications, we'll have links in the show notes below for all of them. Let me ask you something, Michael, on weather apps. Is weather a thing that you only care about once you get older? Because I remember being teenage DOS geek and I was like, who cares what the weather is? You go outside, you're like, oh, it's rainy. You find out then. But as I've gotten older, suddenly I'm like, huh, let me look up what the weather's like today. Like, there's no reason for it. I'm not going to be able to change it. My decisions of what I'm going to do aren't going to change. I'm still going to stay inside and stare at the computer all day. So why do I care? But there's something with me having aged that suddenly I want to know what the weather is. And I'm interested in having a weather app. Sure. I, I understand that there is some, the, the theory is interesting because there is some validity to that because depending on what you do, because you do your different tactics or different, uh, the ways you, you approach a situation changes when you get older because you have different uh, situations that you have to deal with and different experiences that you've dealt with before and all that stuff. But no, I don't care about the weather. You still don't care about No, the I still weather. don't care. You, you haven't aged to the point of maturity where you <laughs> care about weather. But when you get there, like in a few more years, when you grow up, when I grow up, I can't wait. You're gonna, you're I can't gonna start wait to caring about the weather, weather more. Like, no. do you do you actually install a weather app on your machine? Do you no. purposely like? But what about now? Are you gonna install Medio? I like the name, but not enough to use a weather app. No. So when you grow up and mature, let us know. And you know, I will, <laughs> I will, I will send a tweet to make sure everybody's aware that I have matured and I have installed a weather app. Although, nice. does it count if I have a weather on my phone? Because I do have it on my phone. But also, do you check it? Do you check it on your phone? Not really. No. You, you do. I can see that smile. If there's, if You're it's, starting if it's to going as you to grow up, if I hear there's going to be a storm, I try to, I check right. it to see like when it's going to happen, so like make sure that my computers are off and make sure there's no short circuiting or whatever that kind of. But beyond that, not really. Although so, I will say, when uh, I haven't, I, don't, I haven't had one, you know, for many years. But when I used to have a motorcycle. I would use the like weather apps to find out if I can, you know, worry about. Oh, come that on, or not. Michael. A moped is not really a motorcycle. <laughs> I had a motorcycle. It was a Kawasaki Ninja. Thank you. Sure. So it was. It, I had a legit motorcycle. It was. The, you had a Kawasaki Ninja sticker on a moped. <laughs> no, it was legit Ninja. I have photos to prove it. So, All right. we'll uh, see. but yeah, I I might even put it in this video. We'll see if I find them. But oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, but I did I I did use the weather. For then, and I, I was very, I, I checked it every day. It's like, can I ride the motorcycle today? No. And yeah, then, it kind of determines whether you're going to die or not in a motorcycle situation. So yes, yeah, exactly. kind, of, kind of becomes important. I did, yeah. I did make sure it was always sunny when I got on the motorcycle. <laughs> right. All right, so this week I'm going to cover the tip and trick. And this time it comes from one of our listeners, Steven. He says, first time listener, I caught your most recent podcast regarding and heard you mention little useful terminal command. Control L is an interesting one I've never heard before. Much like the others, I don't see myself needing to hide my terminal, but my haste tends to cause me uh, typo clear. So that part is useful to him. You also mentioned control plus U, and I actually use that a lot, but mostly with control Y. 
which is the key here. This is kind of the new tip and trick, Control-Y, which reruns the previous line that disappeared with Control-U. This can be useful for, if example, you're about to run a series of commands on the target directory and already wrote out the command. Instead of typing the absolute path each time, you can Control-U after you've already typed out the command, change the target directory, and then press Control-Y to return the typed out command right back. That, to me, is pretty cool. I mentioned it's a small thing, but there are plenty of times where this allows you to complete a misstep without having to clear what you wrote. I enjoy your podcast and will probably keep listening. (laughs) Probably? Probably Really, Stephen? Probably keep listening? You will keep listening. I like how, he, like how he trolled us right at the end. It's like, enjoy your podcast. It's you know, it's great and everything. But, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Here's a tip and trick I'll take the time to send to you. And I might probably listen to when you guys read it off. You will listen, Stephen. You will yeah, love us. You will. You will listen. Uh, but also, the, the, just a, a quick uh, note on the control Y. That is a, an interesting thing because it sort of, I didn't know this until probably a couple weeks ago or so, or I don't know, recently anyway. And... Control Y, it does that, but it also works as a copy paste function. So the Control Y is a paste, and the Control U, Control K, and I think something else that does like a clearing the line where it will, you know, Control U, I think, clears from where you are and then for everything before it, and then Control K is everything after it. But it, if, instead of just clearing it, it also does a copy, but it only applies to Bash. So if you want to do that, you can you're copying it inside of the bash shell, and then you use Control Y to paste it in the bash shell. Whereas you could still have your rain, your main clipboard uh, functionality still there as well if you want to do Control Shift V. So it's pretty cool to have basically two different types of clipboard management. Yeah. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind the scenes pass into the making of the show. And believe me, there's so much you're missing out on (laughs) if you haven't seen it. Then you have that opportunity by becoming a patron. You can join by either joining Patreon or Sponsors. We have two options there for you. It's just a few dollars. You get a ton more content. And we appreciate all of our patrons. And they got to be a part of the show today, which made it extra awesome and special. Also, Destination Linux Network has a great way for you to become a member of the community, to participate in the community by joining our forums on destinationlinux.network. You can discuss the show with all the listeners from around the world in one place. And if you're looking for more live chat sessions, then join our gigantic Telegram group with over 1,300 members and growing on there, as well as we have a Discord server. Pretty much any way you want to communicate, we have an option for you. If you can't remember all of that, just head to destinationlinux.network where you can also get a hold of the new stool t-shirt, which of course you're going to go to destinationlinux.network now. Yes, absolutely. And also we love hearing from you. So please get back to us to provide some feedback or any of the burning questions you have. And you can send video links. In fact, feel free to do that, but keep it brief as much as possible. And you can send all of that to comments at destinationlinux.org. And as I said, please keep it brief because we would like to feature it on the show, but there's only so much time we could put into it. So please make, make it as, uh, as concise as possible, uh, unlike the way I've said this. Also, don't forget to go to the Destination Linux store or the destinationlinux.network slash store and pick up some swag from across the network of podcasts and shows. We have a limited edition designs that shows off the founding shows for it's a concert style for the Destination Linux Network launch, as well as, well as we have the new stool shirt, which is specifically to promote active sitting because that is important. 
They mm. give me a lot of hard time about the stool, but they, at some point they will realize the amazing. Are you going to release active sitting workout videos? I make <laughs> millions off of that. You I know? should. I should. Yeah. I'll think about that. <laughs> but anyway, you could go get that as well as many any, many other things like coffee cups. And we have a actually new shirt and new coffee mug for the Destination Linux new branding. So if you want to check that out, you can get that as well. And we've actually heard by many people at this point that wearing a DLN shirt is a life-changing experience. Millions. So, millions. Billions, even. Yes, billions, exactly. And if you want more content from, from us, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels to check out. You can go to youtube.com slash dosgeek, where Ryan fills your brains with hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can find my content at tuxdigital.com, where I do a weekly in-depth Linux GNU's podcast, and it's a weekly podcast. This week in Linux and other and Linux active sitting tutorials and active sitting exercise DVDs as <laughs> whatever. And also you can check out Noah's content by going to asknoahshow.com where he does a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. You can call in and ask him questions about Linux or tech or business or whatever, really. And you can find that again at asknoahshow.com. And also make sure to check out all the other Destination Linux Network shows. We have shows like Hardware Addicts, Linux for Everyone, DLN Extend Podcast, and we have some more coming soon. We actually have one that's going to be being released in the next month or so. So stay tuned for that. Also, Michael, you have your active sitting DVDs. Is that one of those subscription services where the DVDs keep coming in the mail and you cancel it, but you can't stop it and they just keep coming and coming? Yes. yes, exactly. <laughs> it's it's actually it's uh, the Daily Active Sitting Club. That's what it's going to be called. And uh, you can just subscribe before you can get actually three DVDs or you can get a DVD and a kit. You get It's a kit to attach the hydraulics of using a Raspberry Pi for the stool so you can automatically adjust My it while gosh. you're sitting there. So How do that's, I join this club? It sounds amazing. <laughs> well, um, you'll have to go to uh, TuxMyStool.com in order to do it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait. What amazing content we have. Amazing. Amazing content. (laughs) All right, everybody. Have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Oh, my gosh. That's such a nonsense thing. (laughs) I just remembered, you know, when you subscribe to those things like the CD clubs and they just keep you cancel it (laughs) and they keep coming in the mail no matter what. Yep. (laughs) That will be our that will be our ruse, you know, (laughs) deal in. Computer Kid said DLN presents active sitting with Michael. <laughs> How are we supposed to compete with the space station stuff, Michael? Well, the, the space station's live right now of them entering that. Nobody's going to want to watch us when you've got that. So I need you to pretend you're in zero gravity right now. <laughs> there we go. Now we're entertainment values up. <laughs> so stupid. Good, good job, man. Thanks, buddy. Destination Linux is making a rocket, too. We're going to send people to space. We just need patron donations to get up to a billion. And <laughs> Once we get that, space. <laughs> oh, we should use the virtual backgrounds of space today. Except it won't be. Why wouldn't it? Do. Why wouldn't it work? Because no one would be like, why do you have space? What are you doing? I mean, they'll it. say you're amazing because you have space in your background. Oh my gosh, man, this is crazy. I can't believe we did it. We got a billion dollars in donations and I'm in outer space. This is so cool. Thanks, patrons.
Sometimes you're just <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I've actually never seen you look so good. I like how my beard is so big that it just kind of expands pa- a pa- past their nonsense. Their filter. Yeah. Dude, that looked awesome. You almost look like a, a Neo or something. All right, so patrons, you can turn on your cameras, turn on your mics if you want to chat. 